Well, it's good to be here, and uh, thank you, uh, Travis and Kay, uh, for commissioning this morning. I, I, I just believe it's so important we do this in the worship service because in our following of Jesus, where the rubber meets the road is in our homes, in our marriages, with our kids. You know, we can, we can put on a pretty good face out here when we come together, right? But in our homes, it's, it's the real deal, right? And this is where we see transformation. This is where we see the power of the gospel. And uh, let's, let's just pray for Travis and Kay and for our parents and grandparents because God is at work as we share the truth of Jesus with our kids and our grandkids. And God is, God is at work, and it's a beautiful picture of what God is doing. So what a privilege to do that this morning. So we are continuing our series uh, in John, The Seven Signs of the Kingdom. And this morning, before we read the passage, I just want to share a few things um, concerning God as creator. Now, I've been starting these services by looking at John 1, and I want to do that again this morning, not the whole passage, but it says in John 1 that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. I want to stop there. Now, let's just think about that. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. Now, I don't know about you, but as I was driving up here this morning looking at the trees and the cliffs and, and thinking about that verse, that's, that's, that's an, ex an amazing, extraordinary statement that Jesus was part of creation and making everything that we see, everything we experience, everything we smell, taste, see. Jesus had a hand in that. And I really appreciate what Bill did last week in, in saying this, this theme that we see in John is, is really tied in with who God is as Trinity, right? The Father, Son, and Spirit. And, and you see in the story of the Bible that all three person, persons of God were actively engaged in creation, but not just in creation, in the whole story of redemption. We believe God created and that Jesus, the Son of God, was part of that and that his creative power is evident in everything we see and experience. Now, some Christians have made the mistake of trying to think that the Bible tells us exactly how God created. The Bible doesn't tell us that. The Bible is more focused on who God is and who he has revealed himself to be. And he is creator. We believe that. We see that. We experience that. And we believe that the Bible says God spoke everything into being. But the purpose of the Bible is the story of God. It's not about us. A lot of times we can take this and we can try to make it about us, but it's not. It's about God. It's in his glory. And it's his story of redemption because in everything he made, he reflects his glory and his purposes and the chief of that is you and I we are made in God's image he made you and I men and women in the image of God he made us so that we could know him and live as his sons and daughters and we can enjoy this amazing creation that God has made but in the story we know there's a there's a bad turn right <laughs> there's a there's something that happens that messes up the the purpose that God had. But God wasn't surprised by this. I, I know God wasn't surprised by this because he's sovereign and he's good and he's over all things. And so 
the story tells us that Adam and Eve rebelled against God. They disobeyed God in the garden. And this morning, there's going to be a class about the two trees. And I love the Bible starts in a garden and it ends in a garden. So God must like gardens. <laughs> That's why I like the garden, because there's something special about that. But, but in that garden, that perfect place, Adam and Eve rebelled. They disobeyed God. And thus came upon creation a curse. Not just on men and women, but on all of creation came a curse. And we're going to be talking about that this morning and the story that we see about Jesus because this curse is, has affected all of us. Now, we talk a lot about sin here in the church and we talk about just how our hearts rebel against God and we do things that are offensive to God and hurt others. But, but part of this curse is, is physical. We see disease. We see broken bodies. We see people dying, and we know it's not right. Like, we just know deep inside that it's not right when someone gets sick. It's not right when someone gets cancer. It's not right when someone is unable to run and use their legs or, or to use their bodies the way they were intended to be used. We just, it, it, it hurts us. We know it's not right. We weren't created for that. The Bible tells us we were created to live, <laughs> to enjoy life and the creation, but, but there's this curse. Uh, my wife and I had a, a, an experience with our third son being born, and uh, I hope some of you may have be able to identify with this, but I hope many of you never experienced this, but we got a phone call. We brought him home from the hospital only maybe a day, and we got this frantic phone call from the hospital saying, bring your son in right now. Uh, his life is in danger and so we rushed to the hospital it's a sinking terrible feeling and, and they did a bunch of tests and they told us he has a, a genetic disorder and uh, our minds were swirling you think a lot you think the worst things and and uh, but through months of of time with hospitals and children's hospital in Minneapolis we began to understand a little more uh, more about the human body and some of the things that he would struggle with in his life but in that whole process, and God has been so faithful, he's, he's doing wonderful, but um, we met with a geneticist in that time, and she made, a, she made an amazing statement to me that I think speaks to the reality of what the Bible speaks about, about our total depravity, that it's not just our individual sinful choices, but we live in a broken world. And she said, every human being has up to 10 genetic flaws in their DNA. Now, that, that's an amazing statement, and, and as a scientist, she could see that in every single person, there are these flaws. Now, they don't always show up, but they do sometimes in our kids, right? And so the right people come together, they, those flaws can re expose themselves in our kids. And so I just thought about that. The Bible says this world is under a curse, and we, we kind of know that, but even in our most intrinsic physical DNA, there's evidence of flaw, evidence of brokenness, evidence of death. Romans 8 says, for the creation was subjected to frustration, and not by its own choice, by, by the will of him who subjected it. And here's the key, and the hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. So the Bible speaks of this 
condition that we're in. And not just us, all of creation, everything around us is broken. But God has a purpose. He has a plan. <laughs> he is working in such a way that everything will be liberated. And so instead of death and disease and destruction in our world, God has a plan to bring freedom and glory. And where does he start? He starts with the children. He starts with us. And he says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right into the present time. Do you feel it? Do you see it? Do you experience it? Does your own heart groan when someone you know is sick? Does your own heart groan? Uh, I, I have many friends who are farmers and ranchers when disease and pestilence strikes. There's huge loss because there's things outside of our control and creation that are broken. And probably the number one indicator, which we already sang about this morning, is fear. I don't know if you realize this, but all of creation is gripped by fear. And it, and it shows up in our own hearts, right? I, I have struggled with fear, and I know many people struggle with different kinds of fears. There's all kinds of fears that we struggle with, and, and sometimes for good reason, because it's a dangerous, hard, hurtful world that we live and navigate in. But fear has gripped all of creation. But the Bible has a message of hope. And we're going to get into the sign of Jesus. It speaks to us. But I just want to look back real quick before we do that in Isaiah 65. This is what God says. And let's hold on to this promise this morning. In a little bit, we're going to celebrate communion. And think about this as we do that. Isaiah 65. See, I will create a new heaven and a new earth. Do you hear that? So God's not going to leave this world the way it is. He's not going to leave the creation in bondage and decay. He says the former things will not be remembered. There will be a day where all the pain and the hurt and the struggle that we've experienced will be gone. He says no longer will they come to mind. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plants and, and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will it be the days of my people. My chosen ones will enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by God and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. Do you see that grace? Before we could even realize our need, God is calling us. <laughs> he is pursuing us. He loves his people. He loves us. They and their descendants with them. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. You see, it's not just us. It's all of creation. No more violence. No more death. The lion will eat straw like the ox, and the dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain. You see, fear will be banished. Fear will be gone, <laughs> says the Lord. Jesus reminds us, God reminds us, that God is doing something new, and he's starting with us. So last week, uh, Bill uh, dived into the story of multiplying the bread. And this miracle that we're going to look at today is tied to the bread miracle because it points to the fact that Jesus is Lord of creation. Would you stand with me? And we're going to read in John chapter 6. And it will be on the screen starting in verse 16, hopefully. John chapter 6 starting in 16. Maybe it's not on the screens, but uh, let's see. Okay, there it is. So let's follow along. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. But by now it was dark, 
and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. And then they were willing to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples. But they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten and the bread after the Lord had given thanks. And once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. All right, I just want to spend a few minutes looking at this, but think about everything I've shared already. The facts, creations, and bondage, decay, but God is making a new creation. And so here we have this amazing story of the disciples going across the lake. Now, I, I don't know how many of you guys have, have been around water, but water, you know, on a lake or an ocean is an interesting thing. I've thought a lot about this. We need water to live, don't we? <laughs> and we can't survive without water. But water is also death because we can drown. It can overwhelm us. We've seen all the flooding and destruction that water can bring. And so we have this love-hate relationship with water. <laughs> and there's an interesting phrase in, in Revelation at the end when God is describing the new heaven and the new earth, and he says, there will be no sea. Have you ever been surprised by that? Where there's this perfect new heaven, new earth, and God says there's no sea. Well, what that's referring to is, I think it's a metaphor, because for the Jewish people and a lot of people, the sea represented chaos, fear, and death. Chaos, fear, and death. Because it's, the water is uncontrollable. It's, it's huge when you think about the ocean. And so that idea of no sea means that there will be no more chaos, no more fear, no more death. And here we have fishermen in this story rowing across a lake in rough water. Now these guys lived on the water. They, they, their livelihood came out of the water with the fish. But here we have a picture of struggle, human struggle in creation. Because here we have wind, we have waves, and we have fear. It's dark. It's scary. And they're rowing for three or four hours. I don't know about you, but... I've, I've been in a few situations where I've had to row maybe an hour and it feels like forever, right? <laughs> and here they are forever not getting anywhere. Doesn't that explain the human condition? I mean, the, when God brought the curse upon this world, he said, you would sow, but you would reap thistles. And so, so much of our work, so much of our effort doesn't produce. Do you, ever, do you ever feel that? Realize that? I do. <laughs> Where it feels like you put so much effort in, in things and, and you don't see the results. Well, that's part of the, the, the condition that we are in. And here we see the disciples facing that reality. They're, they're faced with a storm and they're not getting anywhere. They're stuck. They're desperate. And they're in the middle of that. And look at verse 19 with me. And when they had rowed about three or four hours, they saw... Jesus approaching the boat walking on water. <laughs> so they were afraid and frustrated before, but could you imagine now <laughs> what they're feeling, what they're thinking? There's a man walking on the water. 
So their fear level just went through the roof. <laughs> this isn't something they were expecting. This was strange. Now, I want to I wanna flip this a little bit because a lot of times we think the miracle is Jesus walking on water. But I think the real miracle is Jesus created a new kind of water. Think about that. He created a new kind of water because we all know water can't hold us. <laughs> we don't float. We sink. But here in this moment, God in his creative power is creating a new kind of water that can be walked on. Does that amaze you? That amazes me. But it speaks to something. It speaks to this reality that Jesus is the Lord of creation. That John said that through him all things were made, and without him nothing has been made that was made. You see that? Jesus is creating something new. But not just the water. Look at the disciples. They are frightened. They're afraid. Yet Jesus speaks to that heart condition of fear. He says, it's I. Don't be afraid. It is I. God is present in the moment, in the storm, in the frustration, in the fear. God was right there. Now, I hope that gives strength to you today because I don't know what fears you're facing today, but I know God is there. Jesus is there in those deepest, darkest valleys that you are facing, whether it's a relational struggle, maybe it's an economic struggle, whatever it is, as you are struggling with that, look at this. Jesus says, it is I. Don't be afraid. And we forget. We forget that Jesus is present. But the Bible tells over and over, God is near. He is near. He loves us. He's pursuing us. And he's pursuing the disciples in the midst of their their confrontation with a broken creation, with their own fear, Jesus shows up, and he shows them his power, and he shows them his grace, because he doesn't, he doesn't get angry with them. He loves them. He cares for them in this moment of weakness. They're vulnerable, but he shows up, and he does that in our lives too. Oh, I wish we had time. We could tell stories, and we've been in those dark places, and how God has shown up in our lives. Now, don't miss something in the last part of that, verse 21. How did they get to the shore? Immediately. <laughs> does, that, does that surprise you? Three or four hours rowing, and then immediately they, show, they get to the shore. Well, I think there's something else with creation that here's God is doing. He creates new water, but he creates new time. So much of our lives are driven by time. So much of our lives, are we, we become slaves to time, right? And I'll be honest, when we're young, it feels like we have too much time, right? But the older we get, what, is it, what do we feel? We feel like there's less and less time. <laughs> it's escaping us, right? Here we see a picture of eternity. Time is ended, and we see immediacy. We see God changing the space-time continuum in a moment. Well, God lives in all of eternity, and he invites us into eternity. Remember, when I started this series, we said these are the seven signs of the kingdom, but the word that John uses for the kingdom is eternal life. Eternal life. We were made to live forever. Now, let's not miss this. Jesus is creating a new creation, and he is Lord. And in this new creation, there will be no more fear, no more death, no more pain. Does that give you hope this morning? 
It gives me hope this morning. Now, before we celebrate communion, I just want to look real briefly at verses 22 through 24 with you because there's a crowd that's always following Jesus. And I don't know if you've picked up on this as we've gone, that, that you have the disciples and then you have the few that respond to Jesus, that believe in him, that have faith in him. But there's always a crowd hanging around just trying to get, a, get, a, get, get some action, you know, see what's going on. They want to see what, what Jesus is going to do new. And later in chapter 6, Jesus is going to confront the crowd, and it says many of those people ended up leaving Jesus. They abandoned him. And here's the question I think we have to wrestle with. Are we one of the few, or will we be the crowd? Because there's lots of people who kind of want the benefits of Jesus, but they're not sure they want to be in the boat with Jesus. <laughs> they're not sure if they want to be one of those disciples. And the call that I think God is calling us to is a place of receiving, of trust, of relationship with God because that curse has broken that relationship. That curse has created in us a pride. Remember Adam and Eve were listening to the serpent. The serpent said, you can be like God. And so if in each of us there is a rebellion against God, there's a desire for us to run and to manage our own lives to think that somehow we can control creation, that we can forge a path all on our own. Does that sound familiar? Well, that speaks to us from our outside, but even in our own hearts, there's that deceptive voice that says, you can make it without God. Well, the crowd was interested in Jesus, but did they really believe in him? And so this morning, we have to ask ourselves, are we a disciple or are we just part of the crowd? Do we want to be in relationship with God? Do we want to be called His sons and daughters? Do we want to worship Him alone and trust Him and His grace for our lives? That's a call that we need each day. Every day we wake up, we need the gospel each day. That's why we take communion over and over because we have to be reminded of this call, of this, this invitation to become God's children, to receive His grace, to receive His life. It's not a guarantee until we believe and trust and receive. God's not going to force it upon us. He wants us to receive it. Now, there's great security in this. <laughs> once you believe, once you trust, you are a son and daughter. That cannot be removed. That cannot be separated. What God has done, He will accomplish. We have security in that. So God... He is Lord of creation. He's called Jesus to be our Savior and our Lord. We're going to celebrate communion this morning. I want to invite the servers up as we get prepared for that. And I just want to remind you as we do this together that this is a family meal that we take. Because we are the people of God, we make a statement here saying that Jesus is reversing that curse and he's starting with us just like Romans 8 says he starts with us that we are the sons and daughters that all of creation is longing waiting for us to be redeemed to be restored and so he starts with us and so this morning as we take this bread I want you to remember that the body of Jesus was broken so that you and I could be healed our sins are forgiven because Jesus died on a cross 
to redeem us, to save us, to deliver us. And as we take this, this cup, I want you to remember that the blood of Jesus was spilled so that, so that our unclean hearts, our unclean actions could be cleansed away and we could be made totally righteous, totally clean before a holy God. We can approach Him with confidence. And so this morning as we prepare, I want you to think about this. He says, he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke and he gave them saying, this is my body given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new cup of my blood which is poured out for you. So I want you to hold the bread and the cup and as we distribute it all and then we'll, we'll take it all together in a few minutes.